Welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. Um, we want to talk a little bit about the Arbery case, uh, and we brought in a, a, spe- a specialist from Atlanta. I like that. That sounds cool. Uh, and uh, Rashad Ritchie uh, is was actually voted the best talk radio personality in Atlanta by the Atlanta uh, Journal Constitution, which is pretty badass. Uh, and he's on uh, News and Talk 1380 WAOK. He's also a political analyst for the local CBS affiliate there. He's also top 40 under 40 in the Atlanta Business Chronicle. It goes on and on. Okay, Rashad, I get it. You're fired. Uh, yeah, uh, man, I'm that dude. <laughs> you're that dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, but let's, we, we do have a serious issue in this case. Yeah. So, um, obviously, the Arbery shooting happens in, in Georgia. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I asked on Twitter, are prosecutors in Georgia just uh, letting white folks shoot unarmed black folks? Uh, or does it go both ways? Do they just let uh, random black people go and shoot white people uh, in the street who are jogging? And I said, I hope neither is the case, but it looks like that's not the answer. Uh, and, and, you know, people have called this a, a, a modern-day lynching. Uh, and is that too far, or do you think that's accurate? Yeah, hell no, that's not too far. Let me tell you why that's not too far. Uh, when you look at the operational definition of lynching, lynching means an organized mob in pursuit of a citizen who is suspected of committing a crime, and they utilize what's called extrajudicial means to assassinate or kill that individual. It doesn't have to be a hanging. The definition of lynching is, is exactly what happened, this mob-like mentality to chase this individual down, take the law into their own hands, and people like Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, who said this was a modern-day lynching is correct, contrary to what some conservatives like Candace Owens have said. And here's what's interesting. You have black conservatives now going in on other black conservatives that took the wrong side of this narrative. And it is rare for black conservatives to turn in on their own because they're a pretty tight-knit group. It's a small family, and they try to make sure they have each other's back. But you see now that's starting to implode as well. Well, you know, the mind of a black conservative is is interesting. You know, I grew up Muslim. Uh, the Muslim conservatives, I get a little bit better because if you're very religious, I can see why you started out being conservative. Uh, now, in the Bush and Trump era, being a Muslim Republican is mental. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, when they come after Muslims, even those guys go, well, all right, all right, all right. Okay, that's that's bad, right? And in this case, black conservatives got to be thinking that could have been my son. Yeah, black conservatives with a heart and not simply a biased position. What has happened here is you have seen a narrative supersede that of simple partisan politics. And let's face it, the reason why we're talking about it now is because people, local individuals on the ground kept talking about it. This happened in February. We covered this on my show from day one, and we were working hard to get it outside of that bubble, that local bubble of a place called Brunswick, Georgia, which is deep, deep, deep south Georgia. And remember, the district attorney and the two uh, individuals who have been charged with murder got away with it for a certain amount of time. Why did they get away with it for so long? They got away with it because there's a narrative that somehow uh, young African-American men jogging in a white neighborhood obviously are up to no good. 
And because of that false narrative about blackness in the United States of America, it allowed the crime to be covered up until it got more exposure and then a video surfaced later would show the horrific murder. So, uh, Rashad, I, I want to get back to Candace Owens in a second, but let's stay on the actual case. Uh, so um, why did it take so long? Uh, what do you think went uh, wrong with the prosecutors down there? Well, here's what the reports are saying, and this is also backed by one of the county commissioners. He happens to be a medical doctor. And according to him, basically the, the officers or some officers wanted to make an arrest at the scene. This happened February 23rd. So typical when there's a murder that involves somebody who's a cop, a former cop, an investigator with the DA's office, former investigator with the DA's office, they seek clarity. So they uh, will call the ADA who would be in charge at that time. According to the reports, the assistant district attorney who knew Gregory McMichael, the father, decided to call the elected district attorney, Jackie Johnson. Jackie Johnson told them, according to the report, do not arrest. And it stopped everything from that moment. And this was covered from that point forward. We're now at the fourth special, well, the fourth prosecutor, third special prosecutor, because this continued to be mishandled and was riddled every time it got passed on with somebody else who had a conflict of interest. Yeah, Rashad, is, there seems to be two main issues here. One is um, the, the McMichaels say, oh, my God, there was a spate of robberies uh, in the area. It turns out, nope, uh, there was only one uh, in all of 2020 in that area. Um, they saw what they wanted to see. They see a black guy uh, jogging down the street uh, and they think criminal must have been a lot of robberies. We're going to go get him uh, slash whatever else they were thinking. Right. And if they had seen a white guy in a similar situation, there's no way in the world they would have pursued him. Uh, and and we, any rational person knows that MAGA guys can get denied until uh, they're blue in the face. Uh, but it, it's Everybody else knows it. And even black conservatives, most of them outside of Canada, so know it, if they're, unless they're paid not to know it. Um, and then the second part is, well, this is the second part of white privilege. You're already part of the system. So you have buddies in the system. You have connections in the system. And, and when you do, even if you do something wrong, it makes it easier to get away, right? So, Rashad, isn't this the, the, the overall overarching problem of what we call white privilege. People think like when you say white privilege, it means that every white person has a mansion and a yacht, right? No, it just means that you get to jog down the street without getting, uh, you know, a shotgun hole in your chest. Uh, and you never know you had that privilege. Right. See, the privilege exists as a preference. And I tell my college students and I teach college students of all races, I tell them that is more like white preference, where white preference says we will give you preferential treatment because of the color of your skin. Everybody knows that if it was a 25-year-old white male jogging through that community, this would not have happened. Everybody knows that. Everybody also knows that if it happened to be an African-American family, father-son duo, that killed a white individual jogging in their neighborhood, they would not have left without an arrest. What is that? That's called preference. And the preference has been attributed by way of skin color. Even in uh, the study of critical race theory, 
which basically says that we have given value to skin color. Well, that has been a societal marker for many, many years. And it is so indoctrinated into our everyday existence that those who are um, beneficiaries of this white privilege really don't know it. Most of them are just living their lives without the contrast example until things like this are presented to them. And they fight hard against any racial narrative. They will say, oh, no, 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 this is not about race. Well, of course it's about race because we know that a white male would not have faced the same circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> Two black guys go with a shotgun and kill an innocent white jogger and they don't get arrested for two months? Come on, not man. Not this day and age, my brother. Exactly. No way. No way. No way. Okay, so uh, I want to ask you about the third guy, William Ronnie Bryan. Uh, what's your take on him and his role in this? The guy who's... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I talked about him this morning. I saw an interview that he did, and basically his attorney called him stupid, dumb, and uneducated, and that's why he can't answer simple questions. Um, if that guy's your attorney, good luck, uh, because if you have an attorney like that who needs enemies, um, obviously, based on the information that we have, Ronnie was part of this... Uh, posse in some way. Now, he may not have had knowledge that this was going to end in a killing, uh, but he was definitely part of it, and he's not willing to answer those simple questions. I will say this, man. This cat is really a double-edged sword, and here's why. I think, my personal belief, is that he was there um, as part of the group in the neighborhood to chase this individual. But on the other side, he seems to be the only person recording, which has given us the evidence that was needed in order to get the GBI in Georgia to make an actual arrest and for this investigation to go in the right place. Um, I think he has some legal issues ahead of him. I will tell you this, outside of the context of this situation, anytime you travel with somebody, this is plain Georgia law, anytime you travel with somebody in the commit of a crime, right, in the commission of a crime, you can be charged with that crime as well. So what he's likely doing now is cooperating with the prosecution in order to avoid any type of charge or an extended uh, jail sentence from a conviction. Right. I mean, there's also felony murder. Um, so, uh, you know, again, if it was uh, three black guys in a white neighborhood, uh, everyone would assume the third black guy was in on it. Uh, so, yeah. and, and so I don't want anybody assuming anything in this case. Let's let the evidence go where it may. But, uh, it, you know, you know, I take a different stance. I'm, I'm actually okay with assuming. You know why? Because I am a judicial officer in the court of public opinion, not the court of law. In the court of public opinion, I can make common sense conclusions and assumptions based on my experiences, exposures, and environments. Inside of a court of law, the burden of ev evidence is quite different. But this is the court of public opinion. So, uh, Rashad, before we go, we're out of time, but I, I promise to Candace honestly, what, and I didn't say, what did she say? So basically, she went on social media, not only tweeting, but then she did a whole video because tweeting obviously was not enough. And she told people that this is not just a jargon. She put that in quotes uh, and saying miss her with the bull. And she used the word uh, because this guy burglarized a home, according to Larry English. Larry English is the owner of the property that's being constructed. Larry English then came out later and said nobody burglarized his home. There's no police report. Nothing was stolen from his home. And still to this day, Candace Owens has not apologized for her false narrative about this murder being the fault of the victim. That's because Candace Owens gets paid to attack other black people, uh, right or wrong. And exactly. so she's got to cash that check. It's really disgusting. 
it's, it, it's the epitome of sellout, my friend. Literally, you take a position contrary to the community that you come from in order to cash in. Yeah, it's gross. She does it literally professionally. Um, all right, uh, Rashad Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. All right, we're back on the conversation. Um, and um, I got a question for you guys. You ever wonder uh, what's in the bottled water that you drink? Uh, I wonder that all the time. I always think, like, do they really find some sort of mountain spring and set up a factory right underneath it? Uh, or where do they get the water from? Well, good news. We're about to find out. Uh, Ryan Felton is an investigative reporter at Consumer Reports magazine. Uh, and, uh, and he wrote about that and particularly uh, in these coronavirus times, the ramifications of that. Uh, so, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. All right, so let's start with the fun basics. Um, so Dasani, uh, is that the Coke one or the Pepsi one? Dasani's Coke. Uh, Dasani's Coke and uh, Pepsi is Aquafina. Right. So is it uh, from uh, some sort of Aquafina in the Swiss mountains or where do they get the water? <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they, they primarily get their water for, uh, I believe Coke does have some different sources, but for the most part, the, 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 the vast majority of their water is supplied by uh, your cities, your public water supplies, and that's you know there's uh, big cities that 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 are involved in and uh, play a role here, but there's uh, some small towns as well. Kind of runs the the uh, the gamut, but yeah, it's uh, they're 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 getting tap water more or less. Okay, already hilarious. Um, okay, and uh, and you wrote about the tap water they're getting from the uh, bucolic. Uh, rural, uh, gorgeous backwater town of Detroit. Uh huh. <laughs> so right. these folks are getting. I mean, I don't know if folks know this, but Detroit's pretty close to Flint, Michigan. Uh, and so these folks, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that with the water, but uh, they're they're getting tap water from Detroit and selling it as Aquafina and Dasani. Correct. Yeah, they they uh, what the companies do they they get the tap water. And then um, they they filter it again and then resell it. But you know, for the most part, I think what what's sort of important to note is, in order to actually use one of these systems, like as your source for bottled water, you have to show that that tap water that you're getting already meets safe drinking water standards. So, like you know, a city like Detroit, they have a system that is designed that's supposed to treat the water. And is already when it arrives at the plant, it, it's treated to meet safe drinking water standards. So, so I mean, in, in essence, you're supposed to be able to drink what already comes to the plant. But what the companies say is, oh, the service we're providing is we're cleaning it again and packaging it up and selling it. But in a way, you know, a lot of the uh, consumer advocates and uh, environmental uh, law experts I spoke to, they they kind of describe it as like a subsidy, more or less. Like the cities uh, are, in essence, like providing the product to the companies um, at a relatively low cost. Um, we found it to be about a, a, a penny per gallon. You know, once we looked at some of the billing records I got, it, it works out to about a penny per gallon. And um, then you can sell it at rates, you know, 100, 150 times that um, wholesale. So I, I, I mean, it's uh, it's it's uh, uh, lucrative is a word for it. 
So, yeah, to be fair to Coke and Pepsi, uh, they do filter it again. Uh, but I, I read in your piece that it was about 133 times the, you know, uh, what they pay for it. So that's a hell of a markup. Uh, and then they, to be fair again to Coke and Pepsi, they have other costs, right? They got to pay their employees, they sure. factory rent, etc. Still, it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, but now in this day and age with coronavirus um, causing huge problems for the average person, on top of it, it appears that they're getting disparate treatment. Can you tell us about that? Sure, and. The the you know I'm sure you're as as you're familiar with you know the story that's kind of run a, a thread through the last several years is Detroit was kind of like considered the epicenter of water shutoffs you know several years ago and it's continued uh, practice that's continued to this day so I mean I was kind of just curious to see what exactly um, you know how these companies are treated there was a question at the time Detroit filed for bankruptcy about um, you know, whether or not residents and companies are both being treated fairly. Um, and so no, no one had really kind of looked at this for a while. And I was just sort of curious. And um, what, what, what I found was that Coke and Pepsi had billing, uh, their billing records showed that they had been delinquent. Um, basically, the, the same sort of word that the city tosses around for residents who are unable to pay their bills. Um, the city treats businesses and residents the same way. So if you are $150 behind on your bill and you haven't paid it in 60 days, uh, whether you're a business or a resident, Detroit would say you're delinquent and you're at risk of a shutoff. But as everyone knows, um, you know, residents would get shut off for having a couple hundred dollars past due. But the billing records for Pepsi and Coke show that there's tens of thousands, uh, uh, you know, six figures worth of past due uh, balances that, that had gone unpaid at points. Um, and uh, they were never threatened with a shutoff. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, what, what, what was striking in a way, in a way about that is, um, you know, some of these residents who are getting their water shut off, they have to go get water someplace else. You know, they might be going to their uh, neighbor's house. They might be going to a, a, a relative's house and filling up water and bringing it back. Many are buying bottled water, too. So, in effect, you, you, you may be shutting off water to residents who are then turning around and buying bottled water. That bottled water may be the same tap water that they could be getting out of their home. And on top of it, Coke and Pepsi were delinquent at times, uh, just like some of these residents uh, were considered by the city of Detroit. Gee, I wonder why people are deeply frustrated with big business and uh, the politicians uh, that they corrupt. Uh, so, I mean, look at that story. So Pepsi or Coke could be hundreds of thousands of dollars delinquent, but they don't get their water shut off because they're big and powerful and very likely donate to politicians. Um, uh, you, on the other hand, uh, could have your water turned off for a tiny, tiny bill and then you got to go buy the same tap water from Coke and Pepsi at 133x markup. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want the audience to know they're not doing it in the middle of coronavirus, are they? Are they're not shutting off the water for people because that would be insanity. Yeah, the the, the city 
announced a, a restart plan of sorts to get people reconnected uh, who had their water shut off. Um, but, you know, I think that was a point that we may try to make clear in the piece is, you know, things about the, the thing to remember about the moratorium on water shutoffs is it's, it's temporary. All these cities, the, these cities aren't coming out in droves saying we're not doing this anymore. Like cities like Detroit, they're, they're going to, they're, by all me, by all accounts, they're going, they're planning to shut off water to residents again once the coronavirus pandemic has passed. And so, um, you know, the, yes, they, they, you know, they have stopped, um, but, you know, the, it, it could very well happen again in the near future. So, Ryan, what do other cities do? In, in terms of... Like, when if somebody doesn't pay their water bill, Detroit shuts off their water under normal circumstances, mm-hmm. and then good night, Irene. I don't know what the hell you're going to do if you don't have water. Mm-hmm. Um, what do other cities do? Do they do the same thing or no? Yeah, it's 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 a common practice. And I think, um, you know, notably, uh, the, the, the most notable example that, that is the opposite of that is New York City says it does not um, shut off water to residents who are are unable unable to pay their bills um detroit has has said that it that it needs that revenue to um you know service the system upkeep that sort of thing um but but there are other cities that have found ways to implement payment plans that are um more focused on like what someone can pay so it, it's like focused around like if if you if you're someone who is low income and typically unable to pay and may go without paying their bills, there's cities like Philadelphia, Baltimore who have considered other plans that would say like okay you could pay a percentage of what you make, and the benefit there they say is the city's getting more revenue than they would have from this person. Uh, it's more than zero, um, yeah. And so that's that's a difference than what you would see in than what you see in a place like Detroit. Real quick, out of curiosity, is there an epidemic of not paying the water bills in those other cities? Uh, to, to, I, I couldn't say. Yeah, <laughs> so, like because the idea is that Detroit's saying like we're more draconian, so that'll teach people and then they'll pay their water bill. Right. My guess is, and sorry, I'm you know throwing this at you. You didn't write about Philly and New York, etc. But my guess is. Probably about the same percentage of people don't pay their water bill in those places because about the same percentage of people are dealing with poverty. It's not because they're going, ha ha, now I don't have to pay the water bill. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it just sort of kind of cycles back to about how, you know, that we underscore, you know, underscore in our reporting was how businesses are treated. Um, you know, if you have businesses that are racking up bills and you're not actively collecting them, um, you know, yeah, these may be places that provide jobs and that sort of thing, but just sort of how, what sort of message does that convey to your constituents and people who need water every day as, as the coronavirus pandemic has shown people need water to protect themselves and to survive. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, super quick. Last question. Uh, so do you ever drink bottled water? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's like, if I'm on a cross country road trip, you know, and I drank everything that was in my bottle that I left with and I'm, it's 95 out. Yeah. I buy a bottle, you know, in a situation like that, 99.99% of the time I don't. Yeah. So, uh, Mark Thompson's going to yell at me. He's another one of our hosts, 
But I, I do buy bottled water from time to time mm -hmm. as a matter of convenience, not because I think they got it from the Swiss Alps. Uh-huh. Uh, Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So that happens too. But the plastic that they use is also problematic. Anyways, that's for a different report on a different day. Ryan Felton, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a good night. You too.